God, we are just so, so very grateful that we know you. But even more, Father, we're grateful that you know us. We're just so very grateful that you know us, love us, and are intimately, deliberately, passionately, purposefully involved in all of our lives. We thank you and we thank you that you know us in this way. And Father, we just want to confess before you all those times that we doubted that, that we doubted your presence in all of our lives because we know that you have always been there. Your word plainly tells us that you will never leave us nor forsake us and that you would always be there for all of us. We thank you that we know that you know all of our struggles, all of our anxieties, all of our cares, all of our concerns, and that you love us all the more. So Father, knowing that you know us in just this way, we come together even as this special collective to praise you. We come together just now this morning to let you know that we love you and that we know that you know all about us. And we also know, Father, that your word says that you're preparing many rooms even right now for all of us so that where you are, we may one day be there with you also. So Father, give us an abiding sense of your presence. Give us an abiding sense of joy that surpasses all that we're going through and a peace, Father, that passes all understanding. Just, Father, continue to do as you always do, loving us as you always have. As we thank you for all of these gifts and blessings in the name of Jesus, who went to the cross in our place so that we might have life and have it more abundantly in his awesome name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. 
untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Yeah. 
you've enjoyed kind of our time of worship. Uh, at this time, we're going to go into our uh, communion service. And so Kevin's going to lead us in that. This is normally the time that our men serving would be standing up in front of all of us, holding the plates to pass, and you would be hearing a speaker giving a short message. Well, the message I have today is one of change and adjustment. And certainly we have all experienced that in the recent weeks. Many changes and adjustments and adaptations in our lives have taken place. I think it's safe to say that all of us are doing a majority of things in ways that three, four weeks ago we were not doing them, this included. Uh, this has been really unique, I think, first experience for all of us in these type of worship services. I've been in different kinds of worship services. I've been in a travel trailer in the mountains with a handful of people. I've been with a group outdoors beside a lake having worship service. And of course, many times we were at camps. I have to say that uh, two weeks ago when we did our first online worship. Kathy and I were on our way home from Texas after she had spent 
spring break week at her mom's and we were headed back on Sunday morning because her home congregation, just like ours, had canceled the assembly services. So we were on the road and traveling when we actually watched the recorded service from two weeks ago. Uh, that's the first time that I have ever been to a worship service and observed the uh, communion at 70 miles an hour going down the highway. I appreciate very much everyone who participated in that. Uh, I, with apologies to Brother Dennis Matthews, Dennis, uh, I appreciated your prayers that you prayed during that service. Uh, but I must confess that uh, although I did participate and, and was very much uh, in, in tune with it, I did not bow my head and close my eyes during your prayers. And Kathy was very appreciative of that. Anyway, it's my point being that we're doing so many things differently now. We have seen changes in our habits, in our schedules, definitely in our shopping. Uh, some of these changes and some of these adjustments are have been more drastic than others, namely in our social and family gatherings. We're not seeing people we're used to seeing face to face on a weekly and sometimes daily basis. For some of you, uh, your job situation has changed, and that is a drastic change, a serious change. Some of our members have been quarantined and sheltered in place to the point that they are not even leaving their homes or the buildings that they are housed in. So there's been some drastic changes that we are all getting used to, including obviously the logistics and the circumstances with which we are worshiping. I just want us all to remember something that although the place we are worshiping and singing and praying together may be different, the circumstances may have changed. The technology uh, definitely is an adjustment that the spirit in which we are worshiping does not change. We are still worshiping in spirit and in truth, and we're going to commune together and fellowship with one another in the same way. There is no change in our goal and in our spirit and in our focus of our worship and our communion. And while we do adjust and while we do adapt, I want us to realize that in spite of all the inconveniences that this may have caused and the changes in our lives and in our schedule, I want us to remember at this point in time, the ultimate example of change and adjustment. Jesus, our Lord, left the glory of heaven sitting with God as the co-creator of this universe to come down to this tiny speck in the vastness of space and take on human form as a man and live among us and shed his blood and die for us. That is the ultimate, most drastic, unparalleled change and adjustment that anyone in the history has ever made. Think on that as we experience what comparatively is really just a bump in the road. One of the things I'm seeing around a lot is this too shall pass. This is 
compared to other adjustments that people have had to make in their lives, this is just a bunch of bump in the road, which will pass eventually. For some, it will, for some of us, it will be bumpier than others, but we'll still get through it together. And actually, that's what Christianity is all about. It's change and adjustment and adapting to a new life. Leaving the world of sin and, and the life of the flesh to live a life in the spirit, the ultimate change. And let's remember that as we partake in honor and in remembrance of the one who made the biggest change of all, our Lord Jesus. We will pause long enough between the prayers for the bread and the juice to allow those of you who have a large gathering of family to make sure everyone is served. Let's pray together. Dear God, as we take this bread in remembrance of Christ, let us remember that through all we're going through, you have not left us. As Alton said in his prayer earlier, you are involved. You feel our pain. You see our attempt to adjust accordingly and still worship you in spirit. And we thank you for this blessing. We thank you for this bread and what it represents. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's pray together again. <clears throat> to God, as we take this cup, representative of the blood Christ shed for us, let us remember how he gave it all up to come to earth to save us from our sins so that someday we might go home in glory with you. Thank you for this gathering together. Thank you for this body which loves and worships and adores you. Thank you for your son and his sacrifice. As we take, bless us. In his name we pray, amen.
Thanks, Kevin, for kind of leading our thoughts um, in that communion uh, service this morning. This is, boy, it is a time of change. Um, and this is a different kind of situation and setup. I usually don't have my dog interrupting me while I'm trying to preach, but here we are. Um, you know, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. And earlier, Nathan read the passage from Matthew 21. Uh, and it tells the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem the week before uh, the, his arrest and his, cruci his crucifixion, uh, and the week before the Sunday resurrection. Uh, that day, uh, often referred to in kind of Christian history as Palm Sunday, uh, is a special day. And it, it's special because it was kind of the climax of people expecting Jesus' ministry to mean something that it wasn't going to mean. Um, you know, it's, I've had an opportunity, I think it was about 15 years ago, uh, went with Bill and Becky Day and Henry and Karen Cooper uh, to Athens. And while we were in Athens, one of the places we got to go uh, was Mars Hill. And it was incredible to stand on Mars Hill uh, because it's, it's actually a small, rocky outcropping. And so as you're climbing up to it and standing there, you know that you're standing within several feet uh, of where the Apostle Paul was when he gave his sermon in Acts chapter 17. And, and it just, to have your feet standing where his feet were uh, is an incredible thing. You know, as where space and physical kind of proximity to historical events can feel kind of unique. You know, one of the things that's interesting to me about uh, Palm Sunday is we have that kind of opportunity in time. On this day, this day, the Sunday before Passover, uh, about you know, 1,985 years ago, give or take a year. But on this Sunday, the Sunday before the Jewish Passover, we know what Jesus was doing because we read about it in Matthew chapter 21. And so it's one of those reminders that the stories that we're reading in the Bible are not once upon a time in a land far, far away. These are actual events happening in actual places with historical people. And Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. And it was the week before Passover. And the week before Passover and leading up to that event for Israel, uh, Jerusalem swells to multiple times its normal population. Uh, you have people from all over, not just Israel, but all over that region of the world coming to Jerusalem and coming to the temple to celebrate and remember the Passover in Egypt, to remember the time when the angel of death came over Egypt and there was the, the death of all the firstborn sons and all of, uh, of that land, except in the Hebrew houses, the Hebrew houses that had been instructed to put lamb's blood on the doorpost so that their families would be spared, and so that Israel might be able to be free, that they'd be free from slavery and able to go to the land that God had promised them. They celebrated God's deliverance. And so every year at the same time, Israel would gather together in Jerusalem to celebrate God's deliverance from Egypt, to celebrate that God keeps his promises to his people. It was a time of great national pride and prayer, a time of unbelievable desire to be out of Roman rule and Roman control, a desire for freedom, a desire for yet another great deliverance. And so it was that, that as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, everyone is excited. It's similar in some ways um, to the 4th of July, where our whole country gets incredibly patriotic. But if you multiplied that, 
by Christmas where our whole country has religious enthusiasm and generosity and excitement. If you cross those two, you get something like what Passover would have been to Israel. And just like we have uh, Christmas songs, uh, the Israelites had songs that they would sing on their way up to Jerusalem as they prepared for Passover. Uh, these are called the Psalms of Ascent. They're Psalm chapter 120 through 134. And these Psalms uh, would have been echoing in their heads and in their minds and giving voice to all of their desires as they headed towards the temple. And some of these lyrics from these prayer songs sound like this in Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Psalm 123, another song they would have sang on the road up to Jerusalem was, Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us. For we have endured no end of contempt. We have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt from the proud. Psalm 124, another song that the, the children and families and grandparents would have sung together as they marched towards the temple in huge crowds looking almost like uh, parades marching towards the temple. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive. When their anger flared against us, the flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord, who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We've escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. These songs would have created such an atmosphere of calling out to God, God, you have helped us before, and we pray that you will help us again. God, you have delivered us before, and we pray that you deliver us again. And all of this leads up to Jesus entering into um, the city of Jerusalem. And as he enters, he does something. Uh, in the past, rumors have been swirling about this prophet, this rabbi, this teacher who can do things, who can feed crowds, who can uh, perform miracles. The, the sick are healed, the lame are walking, and there's people that are asking, is this the one we've been waiting for? Could he be the one? And earlier when Nathan read the passage from Matthew 21, uh, Jesus gives the instruction to two of his disciples, this is in 21 verse 2, and he says to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Well, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And now, uh, this, Matthew's going to quote Zechariah from the Old Testament. He says, Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus knows that in Zechariah 9, verse 9, it says uh, exactly what is quoted there. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, 
righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What Jesus tells his disciples is, you know that everyone is waiting for Messiah to come. And when Messiah comes, he will declare himself by entering Jerusalem with all of the power and, and glory that is worthy of him, but at the same time in the humble manner of riding on a colt of a donkey and on a donkey. And so Jesus tells them, go get these two animals so that as I enter Jerusalem, everyone will know that the prophecies that they've been waiting to be fulfilled are happening in their sight today. This is the, the Jewish equivalent of announcing your candidacy to run for public office, except he's not running for president. Jesus is announcing that he is what they've been waiting for. And if you go look at the Zechariah chapter 9 prophecy that Jesus is, is alluding to when he gets on this donkey and this colt, what you'll see is that in the eight verses preceding this are over and over again repeated promises that God will destroy and overthrow the, the enemies of Israel. God says, my people, I will go after your enemies and I will destroy them. They will be judged and you, Israel, will enter into a season of peace. And in the verses that follow this promise of the one who is coming, uh, the king who rides on the donkey in the colt of a donkey, is promises that Israel is going to enter into a new season of peace where they don't need weapons, where they don't need violence, where they don't need war to defend themselves because God will watch over them. There's a promise that God will bring peace and the end of wars, that his, uh, his people's enemies will be defeated. And, and it's no surprise then that when Jesus is going into Jerusalem and the people start crying out, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna being the word for Lord save us, Lord help us. Lord, save us. And so here you have, as the people come in to the Passover, the time of celebrating God's deliverance from Egypt, and as the people are desiring deliverance from Rome, and they're singing the songs of ascent that remind them over and over again with their generations of families and communities coming together, remind them that God will provide the help they need. And Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and a colt to say, I am the answer to the prayers you are praying and the songs you are singing. And he's going towards the temple and the people are laying these palm branches on the street and they're crying out, Lord, save us, Lord, save us. And you get the idea that what begins as a plea and a prayer moves to praise and confidence. God, we praise you because we ask for deliverance, and it is clear that deliverance is coming in this moment. Jesus is arriving at the temple, and in verse 12, as he enters the temple courts, what you expect is for all of the temple authorities and rulers to swarm around him and for there to be a coronation because we've just had a coronation parade. It's time for Jesus to become king of the Jews. And instead, he gets there and he tosses the tables of those who are selling stuff in the outer court, the court of the Gentiles. And he doesn't go all the way into the temple where you expect him to go, to the Holy of Holies where the presence of God would dwell and the high priest is allowed to go, but others aren't. 
Jesus is, is in the temple that, that as he goes into the court of Gentiles where things are being sold, he, he doesn't apparently even go all the way into uh, the court of, of Jewish men or the court of Jewish women or, or the court where only the priest can go and the Levites are all the way in to the Holy of Holies where God is, separated from the people by a huge curtain. All of these different barriers between God and his people because his holiness and their sin don't allow them to come together. There's division in the temple because it's necessary for God to live among his people at that time. And so here we have Jesus, and we know that he doesn't go, um, at least he doesn't spend much time beyond the court of the Gentiles because that's where they're selling stuff. And he overturns the tables and he says, my house was to be called a house of prayer. And he's quoting the prophet here again. And he says, but you are making it a den of robbers. And in verse 14, it says, the blind and lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. And the blind and the lame were not allowed to go into the inner parts of the temple because they were seen to be unclean. And so as they're able to get there, it seems that he stays in the outer court, the court of Gentiles, uh, not going past the barrier that prevents the sick and the lame, the blind, uh, those who are uh, battling with sin, uh, Gentiles, foreigners, from being able to go into the temple proper. And he stays there with those people And what we see is that those who are the religious leaders reject Jesus. But those who are outsiders, those who are beat up and knocked down, those who need faith to be delivered, continue to cry out, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Hosanna, Lord, help us. And as you're reading this, if this was the first time you were reading this story and you understood Passover and you understood the songs of ascent, and if you understood the prophecy in Zechariah that Jesus has fulfilled on this donkey and a colt, and as you understand the coronation parade that the people are holding for him as he rides towards the temple, what you're still expecting is for Jesus to be crowned king. And in verse 17, it says, and he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. He leaves, and he's not king, and the people aren't delivered, and the temple still stands exactly the way it was the day before, unoccupied. What we know today that they didn't is that the temple that at that point had a curtain that veiled God from the people because of their sins and their violations that that made it difficult for God to even be in their presence, that the walls that separated people into tiers and groups were about to come crashing down the next week. You know, in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 50, 51, At the moment that Jesus dies in Matthew's gospel, Matthew tells us that when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What's happening is that God has shredded this curtain at the moment that Jesus dies to let all of Israel and the world know, I am separated from you no more. The king has arrived. And in Ephesians 2, when Paul is talking about what it is that Jesus has done and what he's accomplished, Paul says, for he himself is our peace. He's made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. 
by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. In the cross, Jesus creates out of two humanities one new body. In the cross, the God who was previously separated by curtains and temples and walls is now given access to all people who come into Jesus Christ, now have access to the Father by the one Spirit. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem, everyone hopes that the promises are going to be fulfilled. And as he leaves that day to go back to Bethany to sleep for the night, what they saw was disappointment. What they saw was rejection. What they saw was failure. But what we know is that everything was happening in such a, a much greater way than they could even have ever imagined. That Jesus was going uh, to not take up occupancy in the temple, that he was about to become the temple. That he was going to create in the body of people that then took the spirit, the father that now dwelled in them, no longer separated by a curtain and walls, that, that by having the spirit live in them, they would become one people that Jesus was not defeating the enemies of God's people. He was turning all people into God's holy people, that we might become those who are the stones of the temple. So that even today, as we're living in, in a season of our lives where we are separated from one another, we know that we are united by the Spirit. That even as we are quarantined, that there's no quarantine that is such that God is not with us and in us. That because Jesus became king and he died on the cross and was resurrected, that the curtain was torn, the temple torn down, and rebuilt as the church. And so it is that, that as we sit here looking at each other's screens and faces and, and hearing at different times our voices, that this is the temple that Jesus created. That when the people cried out, Hosanna, Lord, save us and deliver us, that we are the people he saved and delivered. And that message is the message that we have to take to the world today. Because of that, uh, in him, in Jesus Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. You know, people came to Passover to celebrate deliverance. And Zechariah, a king, shows up on a donkey and a colt, and the people expected a king who would destroy enemies. The coronation parade ended at the mighty temple, where Jesus overturned the tables and was rejected by the religious elite and leaders and rulers. The barriers and separations were destroyed. Now we have access to the Father by the Spirit. We can never be separated from God, never be separated from his body, never be separated from his Spirit. We cannot, as Christians, truly ever be alone, even as it feels like we're isolated. I hope this idea of, of seeing all the things that were going on on, on Palm Sunday so many years ago uh, is a blessing to you today. Uh, here in a second, we're going to have a song um, that just reminds us that even uh, as we socially, um, socially separate and distance from one another, that there is no distance from, between us 
and God. God truly surrounds us in this and every moment. service with a prayer and after we have this prayer uh, we will have a short announcement from your leadership and your shepherds to the congregation as a whole so join with me now as we bring this worship service to a close together dear God we thank you for this time with you and with each other we thank you for blessing us with the means, with the technology to do this. We thank you that we are not separated completely from each other and never from you. Lord, we ask a special prayer at this time that you would bless Aaron Day and his family, that he would soon find employment, especially in a time like this where many are having their jobs taken away or changed. Lord, we just ask that he would be given a job very soon so that he may provide for them. Lord, be with Marcellus and be with Dolores. We thank you that reports have been positive so far that there seems to be a way that this cancer will be removed from his body with minimal effect. Dear God, continue to give him strength and give him health. And God, for Kelly's friend Beth, as she continues to improve in her health, we thank you for hearing our prayer on that. Dear God, we thank you for blessing Northwest as you have. And though we are all separated physically, we know that we are one together in spirit with you. We ask that you would be with us this coming week. We ask that we may continue to worship together and commune and fellowship with one another and that this 
this crisis would be brought to an end very soon so that we may once again be together in body as well as spirit. We ask now that you would bless every family here and bless those who were unable to join us today. Help us to continue to look out for each other. Help us to continue to seek you and your wisdom. Through Christ, we pray these things. Amen. The shepherds and the uh, leadership of the church, including the deacons, just want to remind everybody that because of the change and adjustments that we are going through, uh, that also includes many of us, our financial situation and the financial situation of Northwest. Fortunately, we have been blessed, we were blessed before this pandemic hit to have in reserve uh, enough funds to continue to carry on the functions of the church, including the services we support, our missionaries that we pay, and, and to keep the building up and going. For the moment, we are okay on that. What we encourage you to do is to continue your giving, even though we are not gathered together at the building and passing a plate every Sunday. Now, many of you are able to do that because many of our members are on the push pay system where that allows you to continue to give your weekly contribution. Those of us who are not can mail our contribution to the church office and it will be added to the weekly giving. So we encourage you to do that to continue to bless people with the funds and the, the means that you've been blessed by God to be in charge of. One thing I've been hearing on the news is, is an interesting sort of quip that the one positive thing that uh, this pandemic crisis has done in America that people are seeing is they're saying people are serving each other, checking on each other, communicating with each other and taking care of each other and doing the things that we should have been doing all along. I'm proud to say that the body at Northwest was doing all those things before this ever hit. If anything, you all have ramped up what you were already doing a notch or two, and that's good to see. We continue to bless each other and take care of each other. And to do that, we need the financial means to continue our services and to better serve the community, to take care of our own and to support the programs that need financial support. So we, the eldership, would ask that if you are not already have found a way to continue your giving that you do so, so that Northwest will continue to thrive and that once we do come back together, and everything is back to normal, we will not miss a beat. God bless all of you in that. And now as Laura unmutes the entire body, the family of God scattered across Oklahoma City, together with one voice, says, Amen. 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 Amen.